Radio Mano Papachango. Topanga, California. Wish you were here with me. It's pretty nice. It's a pretty sweet spot, I have to say. Took my morning walk out through the canyons. Saw some green parrots against the red rocks and the blue sky. Kind of cool. Very elemental. I like that. Simple colors, simple sensations. I've been uh, falling asleep before midnight, which is strange for me, and waking up at dawn. My bed catches the early morning sun, and uh, first few nights I was here, I wore an eye mask. And then I stopped wearing it, and now I just wake up with the sun, so I'm, I'm becoming a fucking farmer. I'm getting all wholesome and stuff. I don't know. That's going to ruin my, take away my edge, maybe. We'll see what happens. Welcome to another Toma episode. Uh, you requested it. I'm providing it. Ask and ye shall receive, as they say. If not from the good Lord, then from me, for whatever that's worth. Uh, first things first, I want to congratulate a member of our tribe, uh, an existing member and, and maybe a new member. Carrie had a baby. You don't know Carrie. I don't know Carrie except Carrie has sent music and sent emails and Carrie and I have sort of developed a friendship over the years without ever having been in the same room. But hey, that's the modern world, right? Anyway, Carrie just had a baby on the 14th, Evelina Rose. Hope I pronounced that correctly. There's a W-E-W-E-L-I-N-A. I assume it's Evelina. Evelina doesn't roll off the tongue, but in any case... She was born a couple days ago, and um, Carrie said that her doctor said that she came out like a chimp. So I guess that's a good thing. One thinks it's a good thing, and not that the kid's covered in fur. I don't think so. Uh, but I think it was the ease of the birth is, is what he was referring to. At least I hope so. Uh, in any case, congratulations, Carrie and Evelina and Carrie's husband, whose name I don't know. But uh, he was part of it. Yeah, birth. What a concept. All right, before we get into answering your emails or responding to your emails or perusing your emails, uh, some housekeeping to attend to. First of all, the folks, the good folks at Misfit Press are almost ready to start putting our tangentially reading book into production. There are just a few episodes that still need to be transcribed. So if you are interested, if you have a little time on your hands and you'd like to uh, to listen to some of those episodes in more depth, here are the ones that are pending. Um, two episodes, number 25 and number 90 with Caitlin Doty. She's the hip mortician. Um, yeah, 25 is the first one. It's an early one where I just met her. And then 90 was just when her book, Smoke Gets In Your Eyes, was about to come out. She was about to get famous. I was sort of predicting the disruption to her life and everything. And I believe that has come to pass. I think the book was a bestseller. 
Uh, I re- I heard something about some sort of TV thing maybe happening. Um, I don't know. I haven't had an update on that, but uh, interesting conversations with someone who's got a very healthy uh, and unusual um, attitude toward death and experience uh, with working with dead people. So if that interests you and you'd like to listen to that in more depth and transcribe the juicy bits of those episodes, please step up. Uh, Number episode 27 is with Liam and Charlie. These two uh, kids, Uh, Charlie's my cousin and Liam is the son of uh, one of my best buddies. I think they were maybe 10 and 11 or something at that point, or maybe nine and 10. Um, That'll be an easy one because they're, they're pretty short. Uh, And it'll also be amusing because they say some funny shit. Uh, Episode 204 with uh, Casilda has to be transcribed. That'll be an interesting one. I know a lot of you wrote in um, wanting to help her write her memoirs, which she's still working on at this point. So it's too early to to call on any assistance um, for the book at this point. But if you'd like to listen to that episode in more detail... That would be fantastic. And what else do we have? Wim Hof, episodes 204 and 209. Fan- fascinating, of course. Those are very recent. Josh Fox, um, which is, I don't see the number here. Um, but anyway, Josh Fox is a very recent episode. And uh, two episodes with our dear friend, at this point, most probably our dear departed friend, Justin Alexander, which are episodes 143 and 167. World traveler, ninja, cool guy who pushed it a little too far, apparently, in the Himalayas. And um, his body has not been found. For those of you who uh, haven't kept up to date on things, they did the last search um, where they found his stuff by the river and they think he either fell or was pushed from um, a precipice and uh, that his body was uh, washed away by the river. And um, so it doesn't look like we're going to find any sort of closure or resolution to what happened with Justin. Um, Anyway, if you'd like to delve into that in more detail, please do. You can contact uh, Matt at Misfit press uh hold on let me just get that da 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 matt at misfit hyphen inc dot com that's matt at misfit m-i-s-f-i-t hyphen inc i-n-c dot com you can get in touch with him and uh, he's coordinating the transcribing of these episodes so thank you for that what else? It's been a while since I read any of the Amazon purchases, so let's do a little of that. I won't do it for the full 20 minutes like I did the last time. Some people complained about that, and yeah, I don't know. I push back a little, but I get your point. You know, you don't want to get too crazy. Uh, let's see. Under books, Doc Savage, Glare of the Gorgon, The Wild Adventures of Doc Savage. That sounds good. The Glare of the Gorgon wonder if Doc Savage is, is related to Dan Savage. I'd like to see his adventures. There could, there's a movie in there somewhere. Uh, here's a book called How to Hook and Cookbook. Don't know if that's fishing or sex work. Hard to know. 
Oh, here's another one. They bought two. Somebody bought another one of those. I don't know why those are. Maybe it's a gift. Perv, the sexual deviant in all of us. That's by my buddy. Um, dun, dun, dun. The Adams Jefferson letters, the complete correspondence between Thomas Jefferson and Abigail and John Adams. Cool. Somebody's getting educated. The Social Life of Coffee, The Emergence of the British Coffee House. That looks good. Man, it costs 35 bucks. Better be good. Somebody bought some music. It says digital music, so I don't know if it's MP3 download or what, but it's, it's called Shout It Out, and then it says Explicit. Hmm. Here we have Cacao Bliss Brain Enhancing Nootropic Coffee. Wow, that sounds complex boost your mood i'll bet it does and we've got itsumo wild ahi tuna jerky spiced sashimi grade yellow fin tuna fish wild planet wild sardines and extra virgin olive oil lightly smoked a tin 12 of them nice camping i'm guessing they're going camping by the way i'm going camping in a couple days i'm going to uh death valley where I've never been before, um, but I'm really looking forward to that. I, I met a guy at the party following the recording of the podcast with Wim and Stanley. A couple episodes back, I met a guy, um, very cool guy, who had met Wim on Mount Everest. He'd heard about this guy who was climbing Mount Everest in shorts and thought he was a joker, and uh, he actually ran into him. Come, Wim was coming down. And they sat and talked for a while, and uh, yeah, he decided Wim is, in fact, not a joker. Not at all. He's a really cool guy. Um, So, uh, yeah, Doug and I hung out a little bit, and Doug does a lot of traveling and camping, and he um, mentioned how much he enjoyed Death Valley and asked if I'd ever been out there. I said no. He said, well, you know, we're going to go in November a few days after the full moon because it's really cool because at the beginning of the night, it's totally dark. You got incredible skies. You know, the stars are just everywhere. And then the moon comes up and then it's bright because you, you've got an almost full moon. Uh, and that just lights up the desert. So this is the perfect time to go out there. And he and a buddy of his are going and they've very generously invited me. So I'm going to be rolling out into Death Valley here in a few days. Really looking forward to that. Somebody bought Dr. Christopher's original formula liver and gallbladder capsules. Now, that's not me. I'm not Dr. Christopher. And someone got an enema bag kit. Mm, okay. Hope you enjoy that. Green Forest Premium 100% Recycled Bathroom Tissue. Now, does that mean they recycle used bathroom tissue? Because I don't think I'd want to buy that. Somebody bought some Lifestyle Skin Large Condoms. Okay, good for you. And someone else bought a Nancy Two-Ended Duo Head Waterproof Silicon Vibrator Toy. 20 speeds, various colors. This one's purple. I see in the last week, two Kindle ebooks were purchased. One, Sex at Dawn, How We Mate, Why We Stray, What It Means for Modern Relationships. That book sucks. And the other is, You Are a Writer, So Start Acting Like One. <laughs> That's funny. What do writers act like? I still don't know. I think I'm officially a writer, but I, other than complaining about writing, I don't really know what writers 
what makes writers writers that in writing i guess someone bought a traditional mexican yoga blanket <laughs> a traditional a traditional mexican yoga blanket fuck i didn't know there was such a thing as traditional mexican yoga all right, thank you to whomever bought the um, lamb hand puppet. Not sure what a lamb hand puppet is, but I imagine it's just cute as hell. All right, so to wind this up, uh, looks like the biggest purchase through my site last month was a ViewSonic VX2452 MH 24-inch LED LCD monitor full hd uh oh my god whoever this is i'm looking at it they're they're only 140 bucks so i'm looking like how can that be such a big deal they bought 18 of them so somebody who's buying monitors through for their company or for a school or I don't know, for a hotel or I don't know what, but somebody's buying these monitors. They bought 18 of them. They bought them through my site, ended up costing them over 2,500 bucks of which a hundred bucks went to support the podcast. So whoever you are, that's doing that fucking thank you. Really? Thank you for remembering. Um, to go through the site because that's a hundred bucks that uh, would have just been left on the street somewhere and you managed to get it to support this podcast. So thank you so much for that. And for the rest of you who buy stuff through my site at chrisryanphd.com, click on that Amazon link and there you go. All right. One of the things I really like being able to do with this podcast is, uh, I don't know, what are we going to call it? Community maintenance, putting people in touch with each other, you know, sort of keeping this tribe interactive. One of the ways I can do that is by playing music from people who listen to the podcast. You know, I do that as much as as I can. This is a song uh, just came in from a guy named Justin E. Robb. The EP is Blood Brothers. You can find him at Justin Robb, R-O-B-B, uh, dot bandcamp, dot com slash album slash blood hyphen brothers hyphen ep but that's a big pain in the ass so why don't you just go to uh bandcamp and search justin rob with two b's and you'll find this this song is called robert e lee i really enjoy it and it just came in a few days ago from justin and uh he um invited me to play it on the podcast so that's what i'm gonna do because i dig this tune hope you do too Robert Duvall had the strangest dream Everything was tied to six degrees Opened up the fridge, he drank some milk Turned on the TV and the glass just fell Well, he saw his face with a gun in his hand Time in time is the hammer slam Whisper to himself, this cannot be I've got the killing heart of Mr. Robert E. Lee
emerged from his tent with his bravery sold and his army spent. Looked to the faces of his men, saw the confusion within him. Such terror and grace Wood in his right and the gun in his left Never we divided like this Well the church bells rang as John Brown left Soon freedom rang as Kansas bled Brown searched his soul and he found love But he couldn't escape being blinded by blood In those eyes he saw himself It's just a dream he told himself Rivers of blood flowing through the streets Religion got me on my knees Wrestling with flesh and ghosts Strange shapes, magic bones Staring into the unknown Trying to figure out what it That song is Robert E. Lee by Justin Robb. You can find him at justinrobb.bandcamp.com. Check him out. Uh, that's an acoustic record. He's got a rock and roll band as well, uh, which you'll find uh, there if you root around a little bit. Anyway, uh, let's get to some emails. Some of these are kind of old. Uh, well, not old, but, you know, a month or two because I haven't done this in a while. 
Um, so the situation, the specific situation we're talking about may have resolved itself by this point, but you know, whatever, they're interesting questions. Anyhow, this is, uh, okay. From a woman, I've been following you for a few years. Da, da, da. I've been happily married for 12 years. My husband and I are good friends and we have good communication. He's one of the most loving, compassionate, honest people I've ever known. We've both said that we're open to the idea of an open marriage. Okay. I've known my coworker for 12 years, same amount of time as she's been married. But in the last year, we became very close and are attracted to each other. I suppose some people might think we've had um, an emotional affair, but my husband and I don't really believe in that. I told my husband about everything. He's been very understanding. He said we can still be friends, flirt, and spend time together. He would even have let me have an open relationship if I wanted. The problem is my coworker has a long-term girlfriend and he isn't able to be honest with her. I know he's cheated on her several times. I don't agree with being dishonest and I don't want to hurt her or their child. I told him we couldn't be together and we tried avoiding each other for a month. I was miserable. We started trying to be friends again and I feel more connected to him. I even wonder if I'm starting to fall in love with him. We spend time together and we cuddle. We've never done anything else. Do you have any advice for me? I don't want to hurt his girlfriend, but I long for him and it hurts. I'm committed to my marriage and if I had to choose, I'd pick my husband, but it would be, it would cause me a great deal of sadness. All right. So the problem I see with this situation is twofold one this guy that you're attracted to is lying to the woman he has a child with and yet you say that you're falling in love with him or at least you even wonder if you're starting to fall in love with him this to me seems to be a very clear case of um confusing your internal feeling, your internal state with uh, that that may be triggered by a person or a situation that you're in, you are attributing that state to the person as opposed to understanding that it's something that comes out of you. Um, I've talked about this before, and I always go back to this formula from Jack Morin uh, in his book, The Erotic Mind which is that attraction plus an obstacle equals passion. So if you have attraction, but there's something standing in the way of you getting together, that's what generates the passion. So here you are, you've got attraction for this guy. Uh, One obstacle could be your husband, but he seems to be pretty cool with it. So he's not, doesn't seem to be a major obstacle at this point. Um, but your discomfort with this guy lying to his girlfriend and possibly hurting their child and her, that's the obstacle. So you're feeling an increasing sense of passion because there's this attraction that you're not able to consummate. Uh, and you're starting to confuse that with love at this point. I think that's a big mistake. A, because it isn't love, it's just the accumulated energy of the attraction that isn't being consummated, like water piling up, you know, water level rising behind a dam, right? You've got the flow, the flow is blocked. 
uh, by the obstacle. And so you get this energy accumulating behind the obstacle until it sweeps the obstacle away. Or alternatively, the river finds an alternate course. Um, In your case, I hope that you find an alternate course because you know that you don't want to hurt this guy's girlfriend and their child. And this guy's lying. And you know, he's cheated. You know, he hasn't told his girlfriend about what's going on with you. You know, he's not going to tell his girlfriend about what's going on with you. And so I wonder if this guy is really someone who is going to be helping you to expand your your mind, your consciousness, your spirit, your energy. The problem with lying is that it constricts us. It erodes the thing we're trying to build. And he's lying. And so you aren't. And you're obviously at a point in your life where you're willing to face the consequences of being honest with your husband. It sounds like you've got a really open, clear, beautiful relationship with your husband. So why tarnish this life that you're cultivating with this man that you love, your husband, with something that's not true? It's not real. The guy's lying. The boyfriend, the guy, he's lying. And there's a baby involved. So, obviously, um, for the good of the kid, I, I would back out of that personally. And I would say that for the good of you and your development, the right move is to back out of that and to, uh, to recognize that, yeah, you're excited because things seem to be opening up with your husband. It's, it's been a long time since you've been with someone new. You're hungry for some novelty. You're hungry for to learn and to grow and to change with someone new. And you can do all that. And it sounds like you can do that and maintain your marriage at the same time, which is fantastic. But don't do it with someone who's lying. Don't do it with someone who's converting that energy into poison. That's my advice. You're going to do what you do, of course. And I won't judge you. I wouldn't judge him even. But it seems to me that if you want your path to continue moving toward truth and light, it's a bad move to get um, drawn off your path by someone who isn't moving in the same direction you are. Okay, a few Toma episodes back, or Roma. Is this Roma? Ranting. This is a Roma episode, yeah. Um, I talked about, I, I responded to a guy who was having trouble with premature ejaculation, and I I outlined some behavioral uh, techniques that uh, he could try to uh, to deal with that. Somebody wrote to me and said, uh, none of those behavioral methods ever worked for me. I first realized that the, my situation was more physiological than uh, psychological, I guess, when I started taking SSRIs. They helped, but I got hooked, and I don't recommend them. Um, finally, I found EMLA cream which is a prescription lidocaine, a pre-locaine cream. A family doc can prescribe it. It may be over-the-counter in some other countries. Uh, So basically, this is 
uh, cream that you rub on your penis to desensitize it a little bit so that you won't um, get overstimulated and, and come too fast. So he said the only uh, funny side effect is that it numbs your partner's mouth if she goes down on you. Okay. Uh, a woman once freaked out thinking I'd given her a date rape drug when her mouth went numb <laughs> during her first encounter. Yeah, that would be kind of disturbing. So I had to explain the embarrassing truth to her, which ended up actually being kind of sexy. Okay. Um, anyway, so if you have problems with premature ejaculation and the behavioral things I talked about don't work for you, there's another option, but yeah, you definitely want to talk to your lovers about it so they don't think that they're um, being drugged by an unscrupulous dentist or something. Okay, here's an email from Kurt, who's got uh, a historical perspective on things. He says, um, having listened to you, Joe, Duncan, Aubrey, and Daniele for a while now, and having noticed the pool of fans that you all share has made it appear that there's a new counterculture of sorts that's taking root in the world. Having two uncles who were fairly heavily involved in the counterculture of the 60s has made me aware that social movements like theirs can destabilize fairly easily, a la Hunter S. Thompson's proverbial tidal wave over the Bay Area. That's from the, I think it's the final scene in Fear and Loathing where uh, the counterculture sort of sweeps over California, hits the Sierras, and then instead of sweeping across the country, it rolls back into the Pacific. Um, anyway, he says, whether through government intervention, lack of foresight on the part of the movement's members, etc. Since you grew up around people who were a part of that scene, and you have had a more direct experience with said scene, do you have any insight regarding how this new calendar culture can avoid the potential mistakes that the hippies made and avoid another Nixon Reagan-esque backlash? Very, very important question, especially in light of the current political situation with Trump. Um, I, I think that Trump is elected partly because of a mistake that's been made by the left, which is this holier than thou uh purity testing that i talk about a lot on this podcast and and that the comics that kurt mentioned uh talk about as well i think that's a major mistake because anything you do that's going to alienate decent people who aren't necessarily uh signed up for your movement is a mistake because you can't threaten decent straight people uh, with your scene. So I think the mistake in the 60s and the 70s was the disdain that a lot of the counterculture uh, felt toward straight people. Uh, that alienated them, that, that divided the country in a way that worked against the counterculture. I think you have to be accepting and inclusive. And this has been a problem with the so-called left forever because the left sort of defines itself, and, and I certainly count myself among them, defines itself as being smarter than the average person, seeing things average people don't see, uh, sort of being beyond all that. And... And I, I do believe that that's part of 
what makes the counterculture the counterculture, right? That it sees things in the culture that the average person can't see. And, and so it's rebelling against things that are invisible to the mainstream. That's the nature of the counterculture. That's the nature of being uh, on the fringe of anything. Um, the problem is that that posture or that perspective makes it very tempting to consider yourself superior. You're smarter, you're cooler, you're hipper, man. You listen to better music. You've got the cool clothing. You've got the cool beard. You've got the cool clothes. You've got the cool girl. You've got the cool guy. You've got the cool, 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 cool. You're so fucking cool that you come across as an asshole to normal people. And if you come across as an asshole, they don't want to hear what you have to say, even if as is generally the case, the insights that you have could be incredibly liberating for them, could be very important for them, very helpful for them, right? Because the fact is that the middle class is getting fucked. The middle class is getting screwed by this culture, right? But they don't see themselves as counterculture. They see themselves as within the heart of the culture and they're trying to preserve it. And truthfully, those are your natural allies. If you're counterculture, the people who are being screwed over in the heartland are your natural allies because they're being, you've got a common enemy. The, diff, the problem is that they don't know that that's their enemy. They don't recognize it as their enemy. There's certain things that they see. Certainly the banks are fucking them over. So they're anti wall street. Um, uh, Monsanto is fucking them over if we're talking about farmers in the Midwest. So they're anti-big agriculture, right? So you've, they, they certainly have, they're starting to see that there are elements of the mainstream culture that are against them, that are victimizing them. They're against Washington, right? Whatever they think of when they think of Washington. So it's a protest vote for Trump. But the problem, and I see them making it right now, I see the counterculture making it right now, is that instead of cultivating an alliance with these people, what they do is they look down on them. They say they're, they're racist, they're ignorant, they don't understand, you know, you, you know, they demand that you know, whatever LGBTQ and all the rest of the letters be honored and, and proclaimed you know, across the land. Everything has to be the way we want it to be. And if you don't get it, you're just out of it. You're an idiot, you're too old, you're too white, you're too square, you're too whatever. But that's fucking us. That's fucking the, the progressive movement. And that's what the progressive movement always does. It splinters. There's backbiting. There's knives in each other's backs. There's all this conflict within the movement. So the right, which is unified around this very simple idea, profit, fuck y'all, get out of our way, fuck your regulations, fuck your hippie poetry, fuck your whatever, just get the fuck out of the way and let us make money. They're unified. You've got, you know, I mean, look at you've got evangelicals voting for a fucking uh, Trump, a guy who's been married three times to all foreigners. You know, I think he's an atheist. I, I mean, they don't give a shit. They're just they just want power. They just want power and money. But the problem is on our side. It's not even a side. 
that's the problem it's it's a it's a fracture fractured mess and we have a lot more people there are a lot more people who believe that in in gay rights and in, in women's choice and um you know cutting down on reducing the amount of money that's going to foreign wars and you know you look at the people who believe that climate change is real and that it's a serious issue it's like 80 something percent and yet we can't get these things passed why because the other side's unified and we're attacking each other all the time so back to kurt's question what can we do to avoid potential mistakes made by the hippies and avoid another nixon reagan x backlash i think it's it's the same thing as always we have to be inclusive. We have to understand that working class black people and working class white people are on the same side. We have to understand that all the different minority groups are on the same side of this. And what the other side does is divide and conquer and we let them do it. And every time some fucking cool hippie looks down their nose at a straight person and you know, gives them that you're not cool vibe. You're playing into the hands of the enemy. You are giving away your power, which is the power of community. You're giving it away and you're inviting your own demise. So, yeah, what can we do? We can stop thinking we're so fucking cool. I think that's probably the most important thing we can do. And we can understand that the guy who lost his job working in a fucking coal mine deserves our compassion and our help and our respect and not our disdain. All right. This is from a guy named Carl who I actually had a beer with back in Portland. Um, he's um, responding to something I said about Buddhism uh believing that life is essentially about suffering and and so buddhist teachings are often a way of alleviating suffering so carl wrote to me he's he's studied buddhism more than i have and he says um you mentioned that buddhism says life is suffering this has always bothered me as well but in a talk I attended, the monk explained that the word is one of those we don't really have a direct translation for. So we put a lot of English words in to translate it. He said, suffering is one way to translate dukkha, which is the, I guess, the Sanskrit word. Um, but the dukkha also really means unsatisfactory, or in a modern context, it means something like stress. So Indeed, being human is largely driven by stresses all the way from a simple feeling of hunger to I'm in pain and suffering. Needs are stresses, wants are stresses, not getting what you want is dukkha. So is getting so is getting what you want. Winning the lottery, not winning the lottery, they're both stressful, right? Because now you have to maintain it, fix it, work with it, more money, more problems, right? Buddhist teachings became much more palatable when I got over this suffering word thing. So in other words, what he's saying is that my framing of Buddhism as being all about alleviating the suffering of life is there's something lost in translation there because it's not really about suffering. It's about stress and stress is related to change, whether that be a positive change or a negative change. I think he's right about that. It's interesting how translations 
can completely change the trajectory of something. I'm reminded of one of my favorite books, The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera. Highly recommend it. If, if you haven't read it, it's a um, fascinating look at uh, male-female relationships, the way men think, the way women think, and it's all set within the context of Prague Spring. So you get a very interesting history lesson as well as... Um, sort of a lesson in philosophy and, and uh, thoughts on relationships. Anyway, there's a scene in that where um, Kundera says that Thomas, the main character, um, is uh, an epic womanizer. And uh, Kundera says there are two types of, of womanizers. There's the epic and the romantic. Um, the romantic uh, womanizer is the man who believes that the perfect woman is out there somewhere and he just has to find her. So his life is this constant uh, vacillation between excitement, this, this is her, this is the one, this is the one, and then disappointment. Oh, it's not the one. She's not perfect. Oh, well, got to keep looking, got to keep looking. And oh, is this her? Is this her? Oh, this isn't her either. So that's his life. Whereas the epic womanizer is the man who is just fascinated by women. So he's never disappointed. The romantic's always disappointed, ultimately. But the epic is never disappointed because he's not looking for perfection. He doesn't want perfection. He just wants new. He just wants change. He just wants more experience. So, hey, this one, yeah, I don't expect her to be perfect, but she's interesting. Never came come across this before. Wow, this one is bizarre in a way I haven't seen before. This is really interesting. So there's the epic and the romantic womanizer. Tomas, the main character in the book, is, the, is an epic womanizer. Anyway, I was talking about this with a, a French woman, a friend of mine who actually translates books for a living, and she had read the transcript of that book in French. Now, Kundera is Czech, but he wrote um, most of his later novels in French. And she said that in the original French, the word that was translated to womanizer in English actually means lover of women or admirer of women. And think about how that changes it. You're reading this in English, and it, it says... There are two types of womanizer, the epic and the romantic. Now, if you're reading this as a woman or even as a man, you come to that word womanizer and you think asshole. You think a man who objectifies, degrades, uses, discards women. Now, you read it in the original French and you come to admirer of women. There are two types of men who admire women. There are two types of men who love women. It's a completely different feeling, completely different sense of who this character is, completely different understanding of men, completely different understanding of uh, the energy of what it is to admire and love women and the frustrations and the challenges totally changes it. So, yeah, I remember reading somewhere that to read a book in translation is like looking at the back of a tapestry. You can see the outline and the pattern, but the color is really lost. Speaking of novels, I just finished reading a novel. It's the first novel I've read in months, if not years, called The Gold Eaters by Ronald Wright. Now, you may have heard me talk about Ronald Wright. He's uh, 
writes mostly nonfiction. He wrote an amazing book called A A Brief History of Progress, I think, or maybe A Short History of Progress, Um, W-R-I-G-H-T. He's Canadian uh, historian. He's a specialist in uh, Latin American societies, pre-contact, Aztec, Inca, um, very, very smart guy. Very interesting. Anyway, he, he's done something that I sometimes fantasize about doing, which is taking all this knowledge of uh, the societies that he studied and written his nonfiction books about, and he wrote a novel that takes place there. So it's very rich in historical detail. Uh, it's about the conquest of the Inca, Inca. Conquest. Isn't that funny? Think about that word. It's about the conquest of South America, the conquest of the Inca. Makes it sound noble, doesn't it? As opposed to, it's about the extermination, the rape and pillage, the destruction, the genocide um, of an advanced culture in Latin America by a a bunch of disgusting, disease-ridden Spaniards. Anyway, it's called The Gold Eaters. Just came out a couple months ago and highly recommended. Very good book. If I remember, I'll put a link up on my site, but I probably won't remember. So here you go. Make a note of it. If you want to read a book that's also that's, you know, a very good story, but also will give you um, a pretty damn accurate understanding of what went down in Peru, Ecuador, Chile, that region in the 1500s. All right, how about a little poetry? I think it's time for some damn poetry. This is uh, Stephen Dobbins, D-O-B-Y-N-S, from a collection just called New and Selected Poems, put out by Penguin. Uh, Sam Lawrence turned me on to him. Sam Lawrence is the guy who has the Grow Big Always podcast that I um, co-released the episode with Stan and um, Wim a couple weeks ago. Uh, yeah, Sam's an interesting cat. He studied poetry, really loves poetry, and uh, I enjoy poetry, so we sort of threw back and forth a few of our favorites. Anyway, this is called Topless. For those of you who think that poetry is a bunch of, um, you know, it's anodyne and uh, dried out, no juice, no fun, no sex, this will change your mind. It's called Topless. At first, I went just for the girls stopping by every six months for a few beers. One liked to hang upside down as she stripped off her clothes. Another attached matches to her nipples and lit them. Good-natured local girls and the music going boom, boom. Then they'd stroll through the all-male audience, ruffle a few bald heads, rub up against some bellies, bounce on a couple of laps. All for the dollar some fellow would stick between their G-strings and oddly platonic flesh. One looked like an old girlfriend, and even seeing her fully dressed would send me stumbling back to late nights and parked cars. But soon I began speculating about the spectators. Many were regulars, old guys in work clothes, sipping beers out of shape, skidding between their first and second heart attack or stroke. I was touched by the attentiveness of the girls, their jokes and small talk. You know, those mechanical toys, wind-up rabbits or bears. My kids have a couple. How they scuttle across the floor only to end up in a corner banging their fragile tin bodies against the baseboard. These guys were like that. And the girls, in a small way, would set them straight again. 
Just recently, I watched a plump girl straddle some codger's lap, hands on his shoulders, head thrown back, prodding the guy with her questions. So how's Billy, she asked. Did he get the job yet? And Betty Lou, did she decide to keep the kid? Well, as he spoke, she swung her shoulders left and right, swinging her big breasts. So this guy, with his chin poked directly between her nipples, kept getting punched. Left breast, right breast, slapping across his face, knocking off his glasses, banging his goofy grin as his head bounced back. Not slapping any sense into him. Too late for that. Just one of the peculiar ways the world can plant a smooch when you least expect it. How's the wife? How's the back? How are the arches holding up? Pow, pow, piston strokes from some bright engine, so that briefly the girl seemed the very center of the world's own merry-go-round that had to be just then wanging around through the night sky. The colored lights, the spectral horses, the lions with rubber teeth, and clinging to their seats, all these old guys, all the timorous and beaten with their gray faces and ill-fitting toupees and sappy smiles. Nothing bad at the moment, nothing scary or mean. Life without the sharp parts, thrills without regret, as the tumble-down music zigzagged like lightning across the fretful dark. Yeah, I haven't spent a lot of time in strip bars, strip clubs, whatever, but some. And... uh a couple things jump out at me there. I've also felt this, that there's a, there's a therapeutic energy in these places often. Um, a couple of cool little things like, like he says, they'd stroll through the all male audience, ruffle a few bald heads, (laughs) ruffle a few bald heads. You don't, you ruffle hair. How do you ruffle a bald head? But that's the point, isn't it? That's the point, that the women are, in a way, responding to who the men used to be or responding to who the men wish they were. So you ruffle the bald head as if it were covered with hair. Because for a second, it makes the guy feel like he's not bald. And the other thing that struck me out was they do it all for a dollar. Some fellow would stick between their G-strings and oddly platonic flesh. That's an interesting detail. The oddly platonic flesh. Because it's true. At least it's true for me. That when you're in that kind of environment and you see these women, there's a surface sense of which, oh my God, they're so sexy. Mm, and they're smiling at me. and ah, nah, nah. But on the deeper level, you know, it's all a show. You know that they're not interested in you as a person. They don't know you as a person. And the fact that you're there already sort of has made them discount you as someone they could even possibly be interested in. Um, And so you see all this flesh, but it is oddly platonic because the things that would normally signal interest don't. And so there's flesh, but it's platonic. Yeah. So it can be, it can be confusing in that way. Um, yeah. Anyway, the, uh, and the other thing I liked is not slapping any sense into him too late for that. I don't think you can use breasts to slap sense into men. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's enough for me. It's 50 minutes, almost an hour. Uh, I've enjoyed this. I hope you have. The audience for this podcast continues to grow. So thank you for to everyone for talking to your friends about it and spreading the word. It's super cool to have uh, this many people interested in what I have to say. I have no idea why, but something's touching some nerve out there, and I'm grateful for your attention. Somebody, um, a guy did a video. He, he took some of the things that I said on this, specifically on these Roma episodes, and he set them to a film that he made and really encourage you to check it out. It's it's quite beautiful. Uh, it's on YouTube. And if you go to YouTube, uh, just Google Waiting for Winter Seattle. He filmed it in Seattle and it's Waiting for Winter Seattle and his film will come up. Uh, it's, uh, it's a beautiful piece of work and strange. His name's Jake Marquez. And um, yeah, it's strange for me to hear myself my voice set against these images that he's created. Um, but it's quite beautiful. I'll also put a, I'll put it up on the webpage on chrisryanphd.com. So you can see it there. Also tangentiallyspeaking.com. It takes you to the same place. So that's it for me. I'm going to check out and I'm going to leave you with a classic tune from Funkadelic called, Can You Get to That? Catch you next time. In the meantime, I hope you can get to that.
do. 